Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, but I say to you, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again, and God bless you all. I am so glad that you are here, and I'm especially glad that Troop 52 is here. I want to welcome you all this morning, and so glad that you're here. We've been hosting Troop 52 for quite a while, and I think the troop is 110 years old, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is just fantastic. Um, and I'm also grateful and honored that you're here. Thank you for those of you who read and who are serving, or for just showing up this morning. I know that's tough in and of itself but also just for who you are. I think Boy Scouts are amazing people. I could never have been one, and I've got a lot of respect for, for what you do, and I'm glad you're here. What? But it's still called the Boy Scouts, is it not? The Scouts, boys and girls. Because Whatever I just messed up, I'm sorry. <laughs> I stand corrected. At any rate, um, today we're coming back to one of um, Jesus' most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most beloved passages of all the Gospel of Matthew. Um, he begins this sermon with the Beatitudes, very famous statements of blessings, of happiness. Last week we heard about how Jesus calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and he's going to go on to talk about marvelous topics like prayer and fasting, giving to the poor, why we don't need to worry, and of course the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But in today's text, Jesus goes from preaching to meddling. He's touching on things like anger and passion, lust, adultery, marriage, and integrity. Did anyone else bristle when you heard the reading this morning? Makes you a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Right? And I think, in large part, we bristle because this feels a little too personal. And it's a bit of a high standard and tough to live up to. And yet we shouldn't be surprised, perhaps, that Jesus has high standards. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords of all. And besides, we have high standards, don't we? Whether it's for ourselves or other people. We have lofty mission statements at our companies. We set aspirational goals for ourselves and for other people. And we even set high standards for our kids, which they tend not to live up to. Clean your room. Hmm. And as I was going through this, I actually looked up the Boy Scouts law on the Boy Scouts website. And it says, a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, bare, clean, and reverent. That's a high standard. I struggle enough with just being clean let alone courteous, obedient, and brave. And this is for teenagers. I'll pray for you all. <laughs> but I would say Jesus' standard goes even far deeper and wider than this, because Jesus' standard penetrates to the root problems, and it affects the entirety of our lives, what we do, think, say, and feel. Now, if you know me at all, it'll probably come no surprise to you whatsoever that I do not like yard work. I'm not a big fan of going outside. I don't like the heat. I would have made a terrible scout, no doubt about it. So as it comes to this, I know almost nothing about tending flowers and cultivating beautiful gardens. But I know this one thing, that if you want to get rid of weeds, you can't just clip it at the bottom of the stem. You can't mow over it. I've tried. You have to get the roots. 
You have to get them at the roots. And Jesus begins by telling us to pluck up the roots that will uh, grow up and blossom into murder and adultery. He tells us to pluck up the roots of anger and lust. We'll start with anger. Think about how destructive pent-up anger, bitterness, and resentment can really be. I have personally seen these things fracture lifelong friendships, break up families, end businesses, split churches, and in our political climate, it's destroying and dividing our country. People who once loved each other intimately and deeply somehow no longer even want to talk to each other or be in the same room. And yet, if we're honest, part of us likes the resentment. We want to hold on to the grudge. We want to use it against someone else. And we sure as heck don't want to admit that it was our fault in the first place. So we might not actually murder one another, but sometimes we act like those we used to love are dead, and sometimes we wish we'd never met them in the first place. Right? And so instead of harboring anger and bitterness, Jesus calls us to reconciliation, to work towards fixing a relationship that has been broken, for us to take our own responsibility, to apologize, seek forgiveness, and make amends especially if it was our fault. Every year I go with a group of guys to uh, Ocean City, Maryland, and this, again, might surprise you, but I have a bit of a sarcastic sense of humor. I'm not sure if you all knew that. And every once in a while, this gets me in trouble as people take what I have seriously or I go too far. And surprise, surprise, both have happened. And one of these guys' weekend out at Ocean City, I was picking on a friend of mine who I think quite a bit of, but I was being a bit of a jerk, and he called me on it. I was like, why do you have to keep saying this? Can't you just be a nice person for once? Yeah, I'm sorry, Josh. I'm wrong in this. You know, please forgive me. I'll work on that. This was a tough conversation. He had to be brave enough to call me out. I had to be humble enough to swallow my pride. But as a result, we're still friends. And if either one of us had held on to our side, we probably would not be. So Jesus calls us towards reconcilia reconciliation rather than anger and division. Because anger, division, these things, they're destructive, they're dangerous, they're evil. And likewise, lust, a desire to have someone else's body as my own, is evil too. Through it, we turn another human being who is made in the very image of God into a mere object of desire. And then we begin to imagine what it would be like to be with this other person rather than the one I'm already committed to. And so lust forms the root of adultery and all sexual immorality. And so Jesus tells us to pluck up this root too by any means necessary. Pluck out your eye, cut off your hand, no matter how painful that might be. Yes, it's incredibly difficult, but it is better for you. It's better for your soul. It's better for your spouse. And it's even better for the person that we were objectifying. And so Jesus calls us to uproot this as well. Murder, anger, adultery, and lust, these are the hearts of the issues, not the behavioral ones. As Jesus will say later, these are heart issues. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Our hearts, the center of our beings, must change and be transformed. 
And so for the sake of our relationships and for our own souls, Jesus calls us to look into our own hearts, pluck up the anger and lust that are at the roots so that they won't be able to grow and blossom into ugly, destructive weeds that no one wants around. Having fun yet? <laughs> Moving on. Jesus then begins talking about divorce and oaths. More fun stuff to come. In these, I think Jesus is calling us to live lives of honesty and integrity, to be faithful to our commitments and to be trustworthy and honest at all times. Now, maybe on the face of it, this seems obvious. Of course we need to be trustworthy and honest. But Jesus had to say this. And why? Because don't we all like to find the loopholes in our own sayings? We want to technically follow the rules and yet still do what we want. My favorite example of this is one I've used here before, but it comes from uh, friends of mine back in North Carolina. They had this four-year-old boy. They were getting the whole family dressed up, I think, for a funeral or a church service. And so this four-year-old's in a full suit. But outside, there were mud puddles that were divinely given for four-year-old boys to splash in. So this boy sees it outside. The mother sees it outside. She gets him all dressed and says, James, do not get that suit dirty. He goes, yes, mama. And she goes off, gets the rest of the kids uh, dressed and together. She comes back, looks outside, and sees a naked four-year-old swimming in the puddles. <laughs> the suit was clean. The boy was not. But he knew what she meant. But he found the loophole. Technically, he didn't break the rules. This is how we are. This is how the people of the time were. They wanted to get out of their own obligations without blatantly lying. So instead, their oaths would be only truly valid if they swore by the name of God himself. In our culture, it's probably the same, right? It's only valid if we swear on a Bible, if we swear in God's name on our mother's grave or our own reputation. Anything else, yeah, it wasn't really a promise. And yet, even when we make these things, if our promise is inconvenient, can't you find a way to get out of it somehow? I think most of us are creative enough to do that. And heck, when I was in grade school, crossing your fingers was a socially acceptable way to just blatantly lie. <laughs> and Jesus' advice is simple. Just be trustworthy. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Mean what you say, say what you mean, and then you won't even need any of these silly oaths. And the same is true of divorce. At the time, men weren't taking their marital commitment seriously, and they were looking for an out. They would use this certificate of divorce that had come straight from Moses himself. And they were using it as a way to get out of a marriage that they just didn't want to be in anymore. This certificate was originally designed to protect women so that they could remarry and not end up in poverty, prostitution, or worse. But these men were using it for frivolous reasons. And so Jesus calls them out for being selfish, for being dishonest and being destructive. He says simply, if you've made a commitment, then you're committed. And if you're committed, why do you need a certificate? It's unnecessary. In these teachings on oaths and divorce, Jesus is calling us, like I said before, to lives of integrity, of honesty, and commitment. And once again, if we think about it, the benefit is obvious both for us and for the people around us. Trust builds up relationships, it strengthens our marriage, it tells other people that they can rely on us, and it gives us peace in knowing we don't have to keep up with the lies. 
And so in this text as a whole, as we go through it, Jesus is calling us to cultivate lives of love, of relationship building. As Bishop Salmon would have said, it's all about relationships. Relationships are a top priority in the kingdom of God. They're a top priority to Jesus, and this is why he sets this standard so, so high, because this stuff is important. But in fact, this standard is set so high, it is truly beyond our ability to do it. Try as we might, the reality of the world hits us in the face. We might not want to, but we just can't let go of our anger. Lust seems to be inevitable. Divorce happens despite the best intentions. And honesty gets you nowhere in today's society, right? Let's be honest. Anybody struggle with at least one of these things? Yeah, I do. And the rest of you struggle with lying. <laughs> right? I mess up on this stuff repeatedly. We all know this to be true. We know we're broken, and that's why this text makes us bristle. It hits just too close to home. And when I read these things, I feel so, so guilty that I can't live up to the standard. And if I'm going to guess, I'm assuming some of you do too. But I don't want to end with a message of guilt. I want to end with a message of hope. Because we have hope. We have Jesus. That's our hope in the midst of this. Our Lord Jesus came into this world to suffer and to die and to rise again because we can't live up to the standard. He knew that when he came. On that cross, he secured our forgiveness and delivered us from our sins. He has washed us clean by his own blood, and right now he is preparing a place for us, even though we're sinners, in his heavenly mansion, where we will live peacefully, joyfully, forever and ever. If we are with Christ, our failures, my failures, your failures, will not be held against us. Don't feel guilty. Don't despair, but don't be lazy either. We aren't off the hook just because the standards are so high and that Christ has forgiven us. He still calls us to shoot for that high standard. We've got to do our best and give it all we've got, but perhaps not in the way that you think. My old pastor used to illustrate it like this with a story about five-year-old little Johnny. He said, five-year-old little Johnny came up to his dad and said, Dad, I want to help clean the yard. I can do it. I'll pick up the sticks, the pine cones, and the stones. And his father says, I, I think this is too much for you, but if you want to try, go right ahead. Give it all you've got. So for an hour, little Johnny goes out there. He collects the sticks and the stones as much as he can, but he's realizing these things are heavy. It's hot. He doesn't like the outdoors any more than I do. And so he comes back to his dad and says, Dad, I don't think I can do it. Give it all you got, Johnny. You said you'd give it all you got. Go give it all you got. So the kid goes back out there and he tries again. And the next hour he comes back and it's the same thing. And the third time he's got tears in his eyes. And he goes, Dad, I just can't do it. And his dad goes, Johnny, I told you, give it all you've got. I did, Dad. I gave it all I've got. And his father says, no, you didn't. Because you've got me. And not once did you ask me for help. My dear friends, we have Jesus and he wants to help. He wants to come to our aid to help us carry the burdens of our sins, to lead us to that high standard, and to help us with this. 
He sends his Holy Spirit. He gives us the scriptures, the sacraments, the church. You and me, we're in this together. We are thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's give it all we've got. Let's trust Jesus as we try to reach that high standard he's put before us. Let's pull up the weeds of anger, lust, and dishonesty in our own hearts and ask him to do the work. Let's ask him to transform our hearts so that we move towards reconciliation, towards love, commitment, and integrity in all that we do, say, think, and feel. And when we mess up, let's go back there again and again and again. This may seem like an impossible standard and an impossible climb, but the one who died for you now lives within you, and he will be with you forever and forevermore. And for that we say thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.